Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Welcome to West Point, Mississippi. This one's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a little bit different. We've got Richie sitting over here in the chair with us. I don't know if we need the horns for me today, no. but uh, I'm usually behind the camera and uh, uh, trying to hit those horns. But uh, it's a, it's going to be fun. Yeah. So we're, we're we've uh, you went on a shoot recently. Uh, this 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 whole episode is about black bears in North Alabama. And Richie w- was there, so we wanted his perspective, being behind the camera when they were poking a. Uh, a sleeping sow with a stick. We'll get what uh, was going through Richie's mind there. Dudley, it's good to see you. Uh, yeah, you're glad, always glad to be here. Always, uh, always bright eyed and bushy tailed. And we got Rob, our mustachioed producer over here, uh, pushing the buttons. And on the guest couch, we have a young lady named Tracy Wood, who is from the Alabama Department of Conservation. She is a wildlife biologist. She is just—I can tell she's <laughs> excited to be here. Tracy, welcome. Thank you very much. Drove all the way up from Troy, Alabama. You say the word bear and I'm here. <laughs> well, that made a smile when, when she said that. So, Tracy, thank you for being here on Zoom now. We've got two other guests. We've got Dr. Todd Sturry from Auburn University. How about Happy that? Happy to be here. Yeah. And then somewhere in the field in North America, we think somewhere up around Minnesota, is a, is a young lady named Hannah Leeper who uh, it was just a few minutes ago had her hands on a bear, and she's joining us. I had a bear captured in a trap, um, so I worked that bear, got some data from him, and, you know, got ear tags and measurements the whole nine yards. So just another day in the life. Wow. That, that is exciting. So, <laughs> it's just amazing. So when we, when we, when we think about black bears, we – if I'm being honest, I really don't think about Alabama. But Alabama has had a population in a couple of isolated places, and now it's at – Tracy, these populations are growing. Is that right? Yes, especially the northeast population. Um, when you hear Hannah, Todd, or I talk about these populations, we are referring to northeast and what I refer to as mobile populations. Those are the two main reproducing populations that we have in the state. That's not to say that you're not going to see a bear anywhere else in the state. Absolutely, you can. You can see one in any county, especially this time of the year. Wow. This time of year, what, what, they, what, they, they're on the move this time of year? Is that what's going on? This time of year, 
Mama has kicked her yearlings out to be on their own, but also we have males that are roaming. Those males are looking for a female. They're looking for a girlfriend. They're looking for a new home range, and they're much like young teenagers, get in trouble sometimes, and they roam around just trying to get established somewhere. We've had a lot of sightings this season. Wow. Yeah, that, that's good. I, um, I think I had a sighting of some bear scat in northeast Alabama last summer um, in a wilderness area. I was backpacking, and it looked like it was full of insect parts, like it had been eating a lot of beetles and and berries and things. Yes. And I'm almost certain it was bear, but I'm, I'm not a bear specialist. Those berries could be a, a key indicator. Uh, they primarily feed on berries and nuts, acorns and such. Um, that is a huge part of their diet, which okay. a lot of people don't know. It's about 85 to 90% of their diet is vegetarian. Okay. Hmm. Pretty neat. So let's go back. Let's go over here to Todd. Dr. Todd Sturry, can you tell us about this research project that y'all are going to be, uh, we're going to be interviewing everybody about? How did this, how did all this get started? Sure. Well, um, this is actually the second phase of our research project. In the first phase, the state just asked us to figure out where there were bears in Alabama and, and kind of get an estimate of how many there were and uh, what kind of genetic diversity we had. And in that phase, we established that we, we do, in fact, have two breeding populations, as Tracy mentioned, one down around Mobile and then one in the northeast corner of the state near Fort Payne and the Little River National Preserve. Well, in that phase of the research, uh, one of the things we learned was that uh, black bears, uh, we, we were seeing lots of black bear cubs early in the spring but we weren't always seeing them with their moms. And that was especially the case in South Alabama. And so um, because black bears are a species of conservation concern and we wanted to make sure the populations were growing well, uh, we, we asked Tracy to continue funding our research so that we could look at the reproduction of these bears. Specifically, we wanted to know uh, how many cubs the bears were having uh, what the survival rate of those cubs were, how many of them made it to adulthood, and for those that didn't make it to adulthood, what were they dying of? And so that's where we are right now. We we are studying the reproductive ecology of black bears in Alabama. Todd, why don't you tell us, uh, what, what are some of the things that y'all learned in this? Well, uh, so in this most recent phase of the research where we're looking at black bear reproductive ecology, um, we've learned that uh, both populations of bears, both in the north and in the south, uh, have cubs. Uh, the population up north is their cubs have excellent survival. I think we've only lost one or maybe two cubs from that population. Whereas the black bear population in South Alabama, uh, that population is struggling. We lose about 50% of our cubs. Um, some of the most interesting things we've learned though, is that the black bear population down South, their cubs are, either born later, born smaller, grow less. We're not entirely sure, but we usually visit the north, the dens in the north population in mid-March, and those bears are healthy and a really good size. We visit the dens in South Alabama in the middle of April, so a whole month later, 
and the cubs are still smaller than the ones that we visited in March uh, up north. And, and again, because we're going to these dens when the cubs are six weeks old, we don't know if it's because they're born later or maybe they're born smaller or maybe they grow slower or maybe some combination of those. Those are things we're still trying to figure out. Is there a difference in the in the weight of the adult bears in the Mobile area and the northeast Alabama area? Not really. That'd be a question more for Hannah. She would know that better than I would. But but my understanding is that, no, there really isn't. They're about the same size. That's what I've observed out in the field as well, is the size is comparable. Um, we have a lot of questions for the Mobile population. Uh, I'll also add, not to be too nerdy, uh, for our listeners, but uh, there's also a genetic component that's very different between the two populations. The North population is Ursus Americanus, which is part of the population from Georgia and Tennessee. And then the South popula- population is Ursus Floridianus. So we don't see really many visible indicators of inbreeding it has to be going on just because of their small home range that they seem to be restricted to um, we're not really seeing kink tails or anything like that um, weight comparisons to the north alabama population is similar except for the cubs like todd mentioned um, but that's just a question that's out there as well with that South Alabama population is, is genetics contributing in some way? Is it, um, habitat related? Uh, we got two very different habitat conditions for both of those populations. The South being more, uh, nesters and they are not cavity, tree cavity nesters. They nest right in the open ground in thickets. Um, but we are seeing those cubs struggling and just aren't sure why that is happening just yet. Um, sometimes the adults may look a little bit um, not as healthy. Their coats aren't as shiny. They look, uh, their hair is thinner. There's, there's physical characteristics like that that I have noticed. But through our study, we haven't found good, solid answers for that just yet. Does a, does a mama bear... Does she have a, a cubs every other year? Is that the cycle she's on? Correct. Yes. And um, so she is going to have her cubs until they're about 18 months of age. And then she says, you've got to go. You're big enough to survive on your own and figure out life. And then she will be ready to breed again that summer. Now, uh, with, with the cub survival rate, now this do you see like if they get to a certain age that their survival rate jumps up? Like if they're older than three, four months or six months or whatever that might be. Once they're able to climb trees, you know, it's going to be a higher percentage that they're going to be able to survive and get by in life. Um, It's really, from what I've noticed, it's very young cubs, not long after birth that we've seen the mortality. And, um, You've got these animals down in the Delta Swamp, and the water fluctuates constantly. Um, there's lots of food resources that time of year for mom. So she 
cubs have a hard life to start out with and keeping up with mom when she's wanting to go back out into the to the wild and eat and get full again and little cubs it's hard to keep up climbing over huge logs and swim through some water in the delta that seems like that would be a tough puzzle to solve because you know in my mind i have so many questions of, of what it could be yeah we do too <laughs> making the babies not as, as fit as yeah the, as yeah. the northern population. So they're a different subspecies. Is that right? I'll let Todd chime okay. in on that. Let him speak. Yeah, that's it. right. The The northern population is the Americana subspecies, like Tracy mentioned. And the uh, southern population is Floridana subspecies. So so basically, uh, the, the southern population is more like the bears they have in Florida. And the northern population is more like the bears they have in, in North Georgia and, and Tennessee. And our two populations do not meet. In this study that you've got going on, is any of this information that y'all have learned, anything kind of jumped out at you surprising? So uh, a lot of it is is surprising. Um, You know, one of the biggest things that surprises us is how small these southern cubs are when we go to visit them in April. They are considerably smaller than the, the bears that we visit, the cubs that we visit up north. And that's despite the fact that we're visiting them a month later. And, uh, you know, it it makes us believe that they're actually born later. And there are some hypotheses out there for why that might be the case. But again, we're not actually getting to them until they're six weeks old. So we don't actually know if they're born later. Um, And and that's probably going to be our next round of research is try to figure out how to get to these cubs when they're born without actually having to get to the cubs when they're born, because we don't want to disturb mom when she's got brand new baby cubs. That's just part of the fun of wildlife research. So how much ground does a a, a, a bear need? Uh, is there any, is that a question that you can answer, Tracy? The two populations are very different in how they function in that respect. Um, and it, and it depends on, on, uh, what context you're talking about. Males this time of year that are looking for a mate, they may roam up to 250 miles looking for a new home range or a mate. Um, females tend to stay within a more tight home range, um, whereas the males are more likely to roam. There's a dominance issue as well uh, within a unit of bears. Uh, one or two bears is going to occupy a range. Uh, what we see in Mobile is around 10 miles, and that is very small. Um, that's another question. Why aren't these bears moving? Some do move to, to Washington County, which is north. Um, food is abundant However, denning habitat is not. So it's the females that seem like they stay put within the home range and then one or two males occupy that home range in Mobile. And then you have a ton of bachelors that are just north of there. We are starting to look at the north population and how they're dispersing because some are seem to be moving back into Georgia. Hannah has, um, of course, tagged and collared a lot of cubs in the past five years and we're seeing them move back to Georgia we're wondering if they're going to stay there or move back Um, the males tend to roam south 
Um, we've had observations close to Auburn this year in Autauga County. So um, that's quite a distance to travel. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Um, are you seeing a difference in the uh, from the north and the south, the, the amount of cubs the sows are having uh, between the north and the south? Somewhat. I wouldn't say that's for certain just yet, just because we need to do more research on collaring those cubs in South Alabama. But the litter does seem healthier. Hannah and I have seen up to four cubs in a litter, which was a very nice surprise. They all turned out to be males. Uh, Seeing females is a bit more exciting for us because we want that ability to contribute to the population Mm -hmm. later on in life. But um in South Alabama, we're more likely to just see one or two cubs. It's for North Alabama, we're, we're usually going to run into two cubs or more. So is that the same? Would would Florida uh, experience the same thing? The, the same in, in terms of their cubs? I know very little about their research. I don't know if Todd may know more about that, but I know that their denning is very similar. Um, I'm not sure about when they're born and the condition of their cubs. So, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting topic there, Bob, because, uh, you know, Florida has actually had a hunting season for black bear. And if that's the same subspecies, you would think that the, the, the mobile population would be very fit as well. Yeah. In Alabama, is this population expanding at a rate that we might wake up 10 years from now and there might be a, a, a hunting season in Alabama? I hate to put a timeline on it because we still have a lot of research to do, but at the rate the North population has been growing, um, I mean, I could even guess that it's it's tripled in the past four or five years. It's it's doing very well, and that is a possibility that there could be a limited season on black bears. Well, that's exciting, but can you can you put a number to that? Is that like going from twenty five to seventy five, or is there a couple of hundred bears, or you know, not trying to nail yeah. you down, but just kind of trying to get a perspective? No, we actually have those kind of numbers. There, it's just a bit aged, so it's time to do another population assessment. But as of five years ago, it was estimated that there were thirty five individuals in the North population. So, would Todd, would you agree that that, that population has at, at least tripled since, since then? Yeah, that's right. So, we had, as Tracy said, our estimate is that we had 35 bears, uh, and that was in uh, 2000, I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2018. And the interesting thing is that that population had actually doubled in size in the four years that we'd studied it. So, it was, you know, about half that size before. And then it was up to 35, popu- uh, 35 bears. And then since then, Anna was telling me that she's caught 76 different bears. So we know that population is growing incredibly fast. So, Hannah, could you tell us about how how did you come to work with these bears in, in this particular project? Yeah, well, my background is pretty similar to a lot of people in wildlife biology. I kind of hopped around to a lot of different jobs in different states, and I ended up at Missouri um, in their Department of Conservation working on a bear project there. And so the experience I gained there kind of set me up well for future bear work. 
And so when I saw this posting that uh, Dr. Suri had created a proposal for this project, I was pretty interested in it. Um, and so I applied and was fortunate to be selected. Um, and so I came onto the project as a graduate student um, and completed my master's through Auburn University. And then I just kind of continued on with the project and was kind of running the field operations side of things for a while. So in part of the field operations, you're actually going and climbing up in dens with hibernating mama bears trying to assess her condition and how many cubs she's got. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. You know, the the term hibernation is kind of a sticky one to begin with. But, yes, I do actually climb into the den. Usually mom's gone by that point. But, um, yeah, I'll climb in there and get the cubs out so that we can collect some data from them and get collars on the cubs and um, learn more about those family groups. Hannah, this is Richie, Richie here. And so uh, just to let everybody know, so I went and filmed Hannah a few months ago while I was in, uh, following her as she was um, – in, going in these dens and and collaring these uh, cubs, and the first time when she said, "Oh, we'll just push the mom off," you know, she'll. I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't know what to think of that. You know, <laughs> yeah, just walk up there and shoo it away. Yeah, that's all exactly, you have to do. Exactly, and so yeah, it kind of when we, uh, it you really put things in perspective when she, we we got there, and uh, it was it was it was it was a lot of fun. I bet it was intense, and, and I, we probably ought to point out. Yeah, I mean, guys, if if you happen to run across a female bear in a ditch, we don't need to approach them. We need to leave them alone. So, I mean, Hannah is a trained special. I can see Doctor Sturry over here nodding his head in a big way. <laughs> these people are trained; they know what they're doing. But Hannah, you still have to have a lot of nerve to do what you do. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is a little bit nerve wracking because they still are wild animals, but. You know, just like any animal, you spend enough time with them, you can kind of learn different behaviors and you can tell when they're getting nervous or uncomfortable. And so just kind of reading that behavior, I think, is a big part of working with any animal and learning its biology. So that part is helpful. Um, the part that I think was a little bit unique was having met Richie and Jesse about 20 minutes before we were actually at the den, you know, where all there was complete strangers. So there was a lot of trust there. But um Again, I was familiar with the bear, and I knew that she was an experienced mom, so that she was likely not going to be too nervous having me around the den and just reading into those behaviors. So kind of walk me through when you when you locate that den and you know she's in there. But So what's the time frame? How long does it take you to go in there and run her off? And then what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And is there a, 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 a do you need to be out of there within a certain amount of time or how long before she comes back? Can you walk me through that? Yeah. Well, of course, each one is unique, and it's hard to, to say that this is how they always go. But generally speaking, it's a pretty quiet approach, uh, as quiet as I can be. It depends on how thick the blackberries are and how crunchy the leaves are. But generally, I want to get as close as I can um, before mom knows that I'm there. And so these moms are collared with GPS collars. And so those locations get sent directly to my computer. And that's how I'm able to locate these dens with GPS. And then they also have the VHF signal coming out of them. So I'm using a GPS point and radio telemetry simultaneously to make sure I know exactly where that mom is at any given moment. And so it's a kind of quiet, slow approach. And then once I identify a hole or a couple holes that that could be where she is, 
um, you know, just kind of keep inching in, inching in. And then usually at that point, mom is alert and looking at me and, and definitely knows that we're there. Um, you know, they can smell us. They can probably hear us. So uh, sometimes I'll, I'll just get a stick and poke them with a stick to make mom run away. Um, and so, again, that's not something I advocate doing. This is for research. And so that's not, you know, not typical behavior that we want to uh, allow others to do. Um, but they don't want to leave. You know, that's a sign of a good mom is that they're pretty reluctant to leave their babies. And, and that's what we want. So that's helpful. That's, you know, a sign of a good mom doesn't want to leave. Um, so once mom runs away, then it's kind of go time. Um, so I'll collect the cubs out of the den and usually bring them out into a little bit more open space just so we can keep an eye on mom. Um, she's not going to attack or anything like that, but she has been known to circle back around and so we just want to be aware of where mom is at while we're handling these cubs, especially if they're crying, you know, that will draw mom in. So it's generally a pretty quick workup, probably about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and so the cubs, uh, of course, they get a, a VHF collar and it's an expanding collar. So it's designed to grow with them. Um, and then hopefully it will last uh, through the summer and we're able to kind of track that cub survival based on those collars. They also get a pit tag, which is like the little grain of rice, just like our dogs and cats get, so that if we get that bear in hand again in a couple of years, we can scan for that and identify exactly who that individual bear is. Um, I collect hair and take uh, measurements like hair length and tooth eruption to get an idea of how old the cub is and then a weight of each cub as well. And by that time, we put the cubs back in and, and leave so that mom can come back. And mom will come back within a couple minutes to a couple hours. Oh, wow. And we do monitor that to make sure mom comes back. And um, people ask us, like, you know, that's too much intervention. Why do you do that? Um we have seen through this research projects, even through the trapping, that we can trap the same bears multiple times. They they will come back. Those moms come back to their young. Now, they may move dens when they come back. That's a smart, good mom, like Hannah was saying. But um, we, we do try little intervention as possible, get in and out as quick as possible, keep those cubs stress level down. So it's a really quick job and a lot of high fives at the end. Look, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. Have y'all, have y'all noticed a difference? Like obviously they're, they're collared, you know, their habits and where they're going. So a bear that you've collared, that's a mom that's used to going into backyards and seeing people, um, is that bear going to behave differently when you try to check the uh, the den compared to like a true wild backcountry bear? Um, well, so each bear is unique, like I was saying. And so there are some bears that hang out more, um, you know, the Northeast population isn't really a, an urban area. It's a pretty rural area. Um, but even still, there are some bears that hang out in more backyards than others. Um, and then the Little River Canyon National Preserve and the Soto State Park, they have designated areas that are classified as backcountry, but in reality, they're no more than a mile or two from the nearest house. So they're not truly, you know, off grid or really that far into the backcountry. So most of these bears have been in somebody's backyard at one point or another. Um, but 
thankfully, knock on wood, we haven't had too many bears become real comfortable in backyards. You know, some get into trash cans and bird feeders, just like all bears do. But that community has been very proactive. And I've worked really hard to kind of uh, jump on that before it becomes an issue that to prevent those those issues from happening. And I haven't seen any of that change with den visits or trapping or anything like that either. So, and and I'm just throwing this question out to anybody, I guess, but how would you like folks who have bears on their property to behave? Is there any, anything they need to do uh, so they're not, you know, messing things up, so to speak? Bears are highly motivated by food. If there is a food source, they are going to find it. If there is one gummy bear in that deer stand or that, that shooting house, they are going to find it. So what I tell people is you saw a bear. That's great. Enjoy the fact that you saw a bear because for the most part, they don't like humans. They don't, they want to avoid that situation. Um, but again, if there's food there, a bird feeder, a grill that had just been cooked on trash, they are going to get into it and have a, have the biggest feast they can. They will continue coming back as long as that food source is there. But if you remove that food source, if you find that there's some human conflict interactions going on, we like to advise people remove the food source for at least two weeks. The bear is probably then going to move on to find something else to eat. Um, they like easy too. They're kind of, they're a little can be a little lazy. They're very chill animals. Um, with that said, they are still wildlife, and you never want to approach them. You do not want to try to entice them to come to your house because they will become quickly habituated, and that is when it becomes a problem. You've been on multiple, uh, I guess, trips with with Hannah, yeah. and uh, on uh, on collar and bears and dinning and so but earlier you mentioned you have a, you know, a story that uh we have a few stories a few good stories you know it all boils down to finding the right stick <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what it boils down to but i think it may have been the first time meeting hannah our first time out in the field together and we found we knew where the den was based on uh, the GPS collar. Um, she was in a huge windrow. It was a huge windrow. And, and when you approach these dens, you've got to know how they're positioned and exactly where they are, because knowing the exit of the bear is very important. You don't want them running towards you when you shoo them away. Well, this mom was sit tight on some cubs and she was a a fairly big sow and being a good mom she didn't want to move hannah and i got this great idea of climbing on top of the windrow to get another peak and so we're trying to adjust our weight so the sticks and whatnot is not shifting and we don't fall in the den <laughs> on top of the bear and cubs so finally, we get a little bit of a visual on this mama bear. You know, we can see a, a black blob. And no matter how much we clapped and yelled, she would not get up and leave. She just was not wanting to budge at all. And 
We had a couple other folks with us, too, uh, a researcher from Auburn, a couple of folks from Birmingham Zoo. So we we had an audience, too, which kind of just fed into what we were doing and made it more exciting. So it was mentioned, hey, let's just go check this other den and come back here and maybe she will come out later. No, no, no. I just need to find the right stick. So one of the zoo members handed me a stick that had a good elbow in it. It was a sturdy stick. So I used it as kind of uh, some leverage to get up under her rear and try to just winch her up a little bit. Pry her (laughs) her out. (laughs) Hey, it was exciting at the time. And we could see that there were a few cubs in there. And so I'm just a few feet from this mama bear. Hannah's over there right beside me as well. And um, she turns around and looks at me. And just something about that was, oh, my goodness, she just looked at me. She, we made eye contact. And don't, you know, it's like, don't look at me to make it safer kind of deal. But finally, that stick is what did it. And she shot out and ran. And then Hannah immediately crawled through the den. And I'm, I'm hearing, oh, there's two cubs. Oh, wait, there's three. Oh, no, here's a fourth. So Hannah is pulling these cubs out. She has cub scout scat all over her from chest down. And we were just enjoying the moment. They happened to be all four boys. That was one of the largest litters we had seen in the state, probably the first of four that we had both seen. So we got those cubs out and we're just, Tickled as could be and worked them up real quick and put them back in the den safely. A mom came back. Oh, wow. That's great. That's exciting. I can't imagine the adrenaline, you know, especially when you're new at it. Todd, I don't think what... I don't think y'all are paying this young lady enough. Her crawling in a bear den. Goodness gracious. So, Tata, I'm looking at you. Do you get to get out and go on a lot of these adventures and, and, and lay hands on the bears and in and, and this research? Well, if you, if you ask Hannah, she'd tell you that I've had lots of opportunities, but I haven't really taken them. Um, I did go out this, this past spring, though, and uh, played with baby cubs, and it, it is a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I don't make it out into the field nearly as much as I'd like to. That's that's the drawback of being a professor. Yeah, a lot of that research is left to your graduate students. Well, yeah. Todd's out in, the, out in the field right now, actually, doing some research, right? Well, I'm, I'm actually on the field teaching. I'm, I'm teaching our wildlife students how to be wildlife biologists right now. Wow. Well, I tell you what, these uh, these universities and, and these students are they're getting to learn some fascinating stuff. And, yeah. And, uh, Hannah, we're we're laughing over here. We're not laughing at you, but we're just <laughs> amazed at these stories that we're hearing about you and and then and the bears. How, how did you become so fearless? A, a lot of a lot of ladies would not crawl in a hole where there was bear cubs i I don't know if it's fearless so much as understanding their behaviors and biology like i mentioned before if you can kind of listen to their behaviors you know you can tell when they're getting nervous and you know i think there have been times where i've kind of gotten complacent and that's where it's a good reminder that these still are wild animals and yeah i'm literally pulling baby bear cubs out of the den and that's exactly what you always hear not to do so it's easy to kind of get caught up in the cuteness of the cubs or the 
the regularity of trapping and like I said, got a little bit complacent, but um, I think it's good to keep a respectable fear. They're still wild animals. They can swat really easily. They have big teeth. You know, we all know these things. So just remembering that is a big part. And, you know, theirs don't growl the way they do in the movies, but they do have a lot of other vocalizations, the grunting and popping jaws and huffing. And those are all good signs to me that I'm actively looking for and listening for. And so when they start that, to me, that's the sign, okay, you've gone too far. This bear is uncomfortable. So I, I don't think I'm fearless. I think I just try to stay in tune with the bears as much as I can. Yeah. So, uh, Todd, uh, look, there's a couple things I want to make sure we point out. The way, the way people need to behave if they encounter a bear. I th- and, and especially, you know, I hear people around Birmingham and other places say, all of a sudden they're seeing bears. And so they, we want it to be positive for people and not turn it into anything negative so that this population can grow. But I want to ask Todd, um, I, I've always heard that bears were poached for their gallbladders historically is that still a problem that's ongoing well i think it is still a problem Uh, most of these gallbladders are wanted by the chinese uh and so there are certainly people that still poach bears for the gallbladders it hasn't been a major problem in alabama uh we only know of maybe one or two bears uh, in the past few years that have been poached uh most of the bears that we hear about that die it's actually road collisions are the number one cause of mortality for adults Getting hit by cars. Mm, yeah. And if I could chime in on that quickly too, the the gallbladder, I guess, issue is is big overseas, but they have also started more bear farms, so that they're basically commercially producing the bile from these gallbladders, and so that has helped some of the illegal poaching as well. No, that's good to hear. I, you know, I've read some books about, uh, and I mean, and there's just some outlaw people doing crazy things everywhere. But, uh, but in the Carolinas and, and West Virginia, that uh, I mean, people they they really went out of their way to kill a lot of bears just to get that gallbladder out of there. Have you heard that, Tracy? Not for Alabama. No, yeah, um, that's good. Does not seem to be a problem. Um, again, it. it for Alabama, I would say it goes back to that human-bear relationship and understanding bears and learning how to live with them. That is something our citizens are, are going to have to get used to. By no means are we, we going to be Caves Cove or Gatlinburg in a few years, but especially because of those male bears roaming during the summer months and then the cubs are dispersing this time of year as well. Um People are just going to have to get used to seeing them. And we still, believe it or not, no matter how much we preach it, we still have people say, oh, I didn't know Alabama had black bears. And I'm like, well, it is our state mammal, first of all, which is is awesome. It's an awesome, fun fact that you can share with people. So Todd, I, I would point out. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of a lot of times a deer hunter in a in a hunting club or something. They may have a feeder that gets destroyed by a bear, and they probably get a little upset about it. But we ought to get, those people ought to be they, they ought to be like, wow, we we've got a bear on the property, and turn that from being uh, lost my feeder to 
hey, we got a pair on the property, and we've got friends at Moultrie Feeders. We might could work out some kind of program where if your feeder gets destroyed, we can help you replace that or something. Because we we want to be boy, we want to be supportive of this project in the in the bear population. I'd love to see it come back. Yeah, I, I would love to see that happen because I know it has to be frustrating to make that kind of investment, that kind of time that you put into, uh, you know, putting your corn in that feeder for a hunter and working on getting that nice buck into the area for hunting. I completely understand. I can relate to that. But bears are just an important part of our ecosystem. They were meant to be here for a reason, and they serve a, a specific function just like any other wildlife does. So again, I go back to if you can remove the source for a couple of weeks, suspended feeders are also an option. So if we could, or y'all could come up with some handy dandy, super duper sus- suspended feeder, maybe. Well, I think maybe we're got talking. that. I mean, we, we could we yeah. could talk with them. They they would be glad to help folks out. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. they would. So Todd, have you got a good bear story all these years you've been being a We've got lots of great berry stories. I, I've actually got a really fun bear story about Hannah's predecessor, the person who who quit and Hannah took his job. Uh, he was a great bear biologist. I called him my bear whisperer. You know, when I put out a trap for a bear, I'm happy if I just catch a bear. This guy, whose name was Chris, he'd put out traps and he'd say, I'm going to catch this particular bear that I saw on this game camera Tuesday at 8 a.m. And sure enough, he'd do it. Well, every year we uh, have Chris and Hannah or whoever our bear biologist is catch us a bear for the summer practicum that I'm teaching right now, the, the class that the wildlife students take in the summer to learn to be wildlife biologists so that they can you know, experience what it's like to work up a bear. Well, so Chris had set some traps and I was expecting him to catch a, a bear first thing Monday morning, which is what I'd had on my schedule. But for whatever reason, he had a whole bunch of bears go in the trap, but none of them set the trap off. And he was pretty frustrated about that because he was used to catching bears whenever he wanted. So he tried again Monday night. A bunch of bears went in the trap, but uh, he couldn't get any of them to set off the trap. And so Tuesday morning, still no bear. By Wednesday morning, he's getting pretty upset because Tuesday night, bears go in the trap, don't set it off. So Wednesday morning, he goes... And he opens the back door to this trap because he's going to change the bait out. He's thinking, well, maybe if I put a different bait in there, I'll catch one of these bears. So he opens the back door, grabs the bait, heads back to his truck, which is around the corner, comes back with this new bait. And lo and behold, the trap is closed. He's like, what's going on here? So he checks the game camera. And while he was gone back at his truck, A bear had gone in the trap, set it off, and walked out the back door that he just opened. (laughs) Wow. I told him they were just making fun of him at that point. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah, that's like walking back to the truck after a hunt and you you know unload your gun before you get there and then there's a deer standing there right at your truck. Oh, That's great. So let me ask this. So I want to make people – I'm asking because I don't know. But our bears are primary. I listened to Dudley Scat comment, and you were saying they primarily they're berries and nuts and bugs and whatnot. But what about uh, deer or fawns? Are is, are they predators of? Uh, do we need to be concerned about that in any way? 
In my opinion, no. I, I'm not sure how much background Todd has with this and and that relationship, but in the past 10 years that, that I've been associated with the research, um, we've never observed anything like that or really a predator-type behavior. Um, that's not to say it won't happen or it could, you know, if they're presented with the option to do that and they can make a meal out of it, sure. But it's not going to be to the level where it's going to impact our population, yeah. um, especially if it's fresh carry-on, of course. Yeah, they're going to have a feast on it. But otherwise, no, absolutely not. It's, as of right now, and the way our population is, and the food sources that are available, that is not something that we are worried about right now so there's no negatives if you've if you've got a property and a bear has shown up there there's there's you don't need to be worrying about that bear impacting your turkey poults or your or your fawns i mean it would be a rare occasion for something like that to happen it's not on the norm yeah it would be very rare in my opinion they would be more likely to get into your chicken coop for chickens as a meal but not your deer or turkey like like Tracy said, bears are kind of lazy. And so they, they'll certainly eat meat if they can get it. And they'll try, but they're not going to put a lot of effort in it. They are just not good predators. Um, certainly there have been studies around the country where that have shown that bears can be major predators of fawns. But I think even in those cases, it's the kind of thing where a bear is walking through the woods and stumbles on one and, you know, just kills it. But, uh, you know, a lot of people think about when they think of bears being good predators, they think of the, the, the grizzly bears up in Alaska, you know, eating all those salmon. But if you ever actually watch one of those TV special, those, those bears aren't actually hunting salmon. What they really do if you watch them is they just stand on top of a waterfall with their mouth open waiting for <laughs> salmon to fly into their open mouth. They're really just not good predators. They're not. They're lazy. Um they have kind of a silly personality. Um, one reason that pit tags are so important with bears, especially the cubs, uh, like Hannah mentioned, you know, you can scan it later and we can tell what bear it is even as they age. But with their collars, they're constantly playing with their siblings. And a lot of times those collars get pulled off. Um, they're very naughty. They just they they like to play and have a good time and enjoy life. We could learn a lot from bears. <laughs> That's funny. Hannah, have you got a bear story you can share with us? Yeah, I've got tons. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the first one that comes to mind, kind of branching off of what Tracy was talking about earlier, um, the den where I exclaimed, I'm going in. Um, that was my first denning season there. Um, and so there was two female cubs in one of the dens we visited that day. And then this most recent denning season, uh, one of those cubs had cubs. So, you know, essentially one of my babies grew up and had babies of her own, and I felt like a proud grandma. <laughs> so to me, that was really cool to see, you know, a, a cub from my first year grew up and and is kind of passing on the, the progeny of her own. And um, it's just neat to see that third generation coming in and the population keep growing. Um, that's one of my most special moments. 
Yeah, that is a cool story. We just came off of that high from, you know, winching a big sow out of a den and finding those four cubs. And we go to the second den and it's just like Hannah automatically said, I'm going in. And she jumps in <laughs> and disappears and a sow runs out. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Richie, what's it yeah. like holding the camera and uh, knowing that there's a a, a, a a bear's fiction to come running well, at well, you. Well, well, I'll tell you on our story here with Hannah on the, on the trip. Like she said, we met her 30 minutes before, and we, we were going up the hillside there. And, and she's looking, uh, bringing out the antenna and looking on her phone, checking data and where 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 the uh, where it's showing where the, uh, the sow's at. And we keep circling this rock outcropping. And it's about 30 feet up in the air. And we're like, she's like, I wonder if it's up there. And so she crawls up there, and it's got, you know – uh, briars all around it and everything. And we, she crawls up there and goes, yeah, she's up here. And it was, she was in, I don't even know how to really describe it. She was in like a, just a, a hole that I was not fitting in. And, and Hannah squeezed <laughs> in there with a poke stick and she poked the sow and the sow took out running the other side there. And I'm standing there on this ledge about like, you know, just this little ledge trying to film it. And she's like, you sure you want to stand there? <laughs> nonchalant <laughs> so so but it, it was it was a cool experience you know and i was my um so the thing is you know i've never held a bear before and like just that opportunity it's it's kind of hard to describe how they even like the hair how their hair feels and just their smell and so it's what does it mean to you uh tracy hannah you know todd to be able to to be able to hold cubs in your hand like that um it's an experience that unlike I've ever had. And and I think all biologists can say that they relate to one animal than the other. And for me and Hannah, it's it's definitely a bear. It's our spirit animal. And uh you get you can get caught up in the moment. Um we act like little girls for about sixty seconds and then we turn the switch to the biologist mode. Um but it is and you think about you know, we're just one of a handful of people that has been able to do this in life. And it's actually, we've made a career out of it somehow. So um, it, it is, it's hard to explain. Um, I think a lot of people can, that are horse people, maybe can compare it to that. It's like a spiritual connection. Um, I don't know, Hannah, what do you think? I, yeah. It's hard to put into words. It really is. Yeah, I think you summed it up. It, it really is tough to actually identify and define what that means. But I I like bringing people out to dens who also enjoy it. You know, if I can share that with somebody, it's like, finally, you can see what I'm trying to explain to you. Yeah. So I enjoy sharing those experiences. And um, yeah, just like Tracy said, been fortunate to make a career out of it. Uh, especially to see this population change so drastically, so quickly. You know, I was I was there for four years, and just the way it blossomed at that time, and the way the community responded to it, and just the changes is so. I don't know. It, it really makes you appreciate the little things, and makes you feel like you're actually making an impact. So that has been really neat. And of course, to watch quote unquote my babies grow up, you know, to handle those those little cubs when they're so little and to actually watch them grow up and then have babies of their own is really special. 
Yeah, That's- we've been really fortunate that we've been doing it long enough. Like Hannah said, you're seeing the grand- grandbabies and you're watching them, hoping they can make it on their own. And then they start a family of their own. And it is extremely rewarding and satisfying. Todd, this research has got to be something that that, that excites you. Uh, and when you when you when you, it sounds like they're bringing back a lot of data, and 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 you guys are learning a lot. It sounds like the population has gone from a low to it's, it's charging up. There's just so much positive here. What it, what can you add to that? Well, we love what's going on in North Alabama, no doubt about it. Um, and and so yes, uh, we're really excited about what's going on in that population. At the same time, we're also very frustrated by what's going on in the South population because that one is not growing and we're having the darndest time trying to figure out why. It's just really complicated. It's hard stuff. So, so yeah, it, it's both a high and a low. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's interesting. We'd like to stay in touch with you on that. And if there's any way we can help, uh, well, we, we sure would like to. It's- yeah, there, there may be some folks out there possibly listening, you know, the few people that do listen to us uh, that may be wanting to go to college and uh, pitch in on all these studies. Or there could be a landowner down there that might have seen something happening in the Mobile area that might could help or have have some anecdotal evidence that could su- support and supply. You know, a few years ago, we had a guy call. We, Dudley, hold up that rock right there in front so Todd can see that. But we sell <laughs> these things called bio rocks. They're a mineral rock. And they're about ten or twelve dollars, Todd. And and uh, we had a guy call. He he actually got through to me, and he said, "Well, he said, hey, I've I've been buying these bio rocks, and they're overnight they'll go missing." And I'm like, "Well, uh, you know what? The deer don't eat them that fast. I look on them." And and so he bought some more, and he called me back. He said. I put it out the next night. The whole thing is gone. And this went on for a couple of weeks. And he finally figured out that a bear was coming and taking – it would gather up. And he had pictures of this bear with a rock <laughs> underneath his arm walking off with, with the rocks. And I just – I kind of got this picture in my mind. Somewhere there's a den with yeah, eight or ten of these rocks in them. A bear laying on his back, l- licking on it like a lollipop. <laughs> That sounds like something a bear would do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know we, we've talked about, you know, how they den and things, uh, but just hypothetically, what would somebody, you know, private landowner say you've got a hundred acres, what are some habitat types or, or features or stages of succession? Uh, if you could, you know, we, we manage for deer and turkey most of the time, but uh, if you want to throw in some habitat for bear, uh, what are some things someone could do to their land to improve that? Well, the bears up north really like the cornfields. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, generally, bears like two things. Uh, like Tracy said, they're really driven by food. And then the other thing is they're really driven by cover. So if you look at the habitats where bears really hang out, uh, they really especially love like blackberry brambles because it provides both food and cover all at the same time. Um, a lot of the habitat that's good for bears is, is not habitat that people typically want. It's not the kind of habitat that you can walk through easily, um, but that's what that's what bears want. They want something that's really thick with a lot of berries and a lot of nuts. Okay. Kind of add to that. Yeah, so, um, sorry. Uh, go ahead, Tracy. I was just going to add to what Todd said. Um, it's, it's typically not what a biologist would recommend to a landowner 
for management of their property, and that is to do nothing. Let it grow up and let it be thick, as thick and gnarly as possible. Um, it's like two different worlds between the populations. you got to be part mountain go to nor- North Alabama to be able to check these dens and work with bears. In South Alabama, you've got to have crawling ability to crawl <laughs> under those briars. And it is tough work down there. You've got a humidity percentage of a thousand. <laughs> um, it rains almost every day down there. So uh, bugs, you know, as big as your hand that you have to deal with and a visibility of just maybe a foot. <laughs> we have literally worked with bears where they were just a couple of feet away from us. And we knew they were there just because of their behavior. Um not wanting us to be there, uh, stomping the ground, chomping their jaws. Um, but you can't see very far in front of your face at all. This is a little tricky. It takes very special talent to be able to do all that, I must say. <laughs> what? So, what, Todd, what is something uh, – I'll ask all three of you. I'll start with Todd. But what is something that, that we uh, – obviously – Sometimes we don't ask the best questions, but is there something we should have asked you about these bears in, in Alabama or the South in general? Anything else you'd like to make sure, a point that you make? Well, I, I think you touched on it a little bit, but I think it's an, a point that's that's good to hammer home, and, and that is what people should do if they have a bear in their yard, right? I mean, it's the number one call phone call that we get. I've got a bear in my yard. I've got a bear around me. What do I do? And, and Tracy mentioned it, the, the first thing you do is just, just enjoy it, right? And the second thing you do is just leave it alone. Make sure that any food that that bear has access to is, is removed. There's a saying that bear biologists have that a fed bear is a dead bear. And the reason is because if a bear becomes accustomed to eating food at your house, sooner or later, somebody's going to have to come in and remove that bear because it's going to become a problem. And so living with bears is all about just enjoying them, but making sure you aren't feeding them at the same time. That sounds like good advice. Richie, you look like so, you've got a question. So earlier in the conversation, we talked about the numbers for the North population uh, of the bear. And so did we make sure we hit on everything? Did we want to talk about the numbers of the mobile population? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, they're in a different environment. So like I've mentioned before, we've got that small home range of 10 to 15 miles or so. We have a lot of subdivisions, a lot of houses. We even have a school um, that experienced some bear sightings. We work with a lot of landowners in that area. North Alabama is mostly public land. So they're two different worlds again. The estimate on the South Alabama population, I think the high end was 125 individuals. And people in that area see bears daily. They think we we are the stupidest people in the world for thinking there's 125 bears estimated in that population. But they are seeing the same bears over and over and don't realize that it's the same one and they think it's a different bear. So they they think they have thousands, according to them. But it's a low number. And again, circling back to that whole conversation, that's why we have so many questions with that population and so many concerns. 
Um, they're already facing a lot, and development is growing in that area. Yeah. So, so how many, how long has the state of Alabama been in researching, watching, conducting, you know, black the black bear population in Alabama? Well, we've always had a large carnivore biologist, but the primary role of that biologist is to deal with those calls. Hey, I saw a bear. A lot, we get a lot of those phone calls just to say, Hey, I saw a bear. And I'm like, Okay, what else? <laughs> you know, what else is going on? Tell me more. Um, but that person handles any nuisance complaints, any, I've got a bear that keeps coming in my yard. What do I do? Again, we've talked about the food source heavily and how, how they like an easy meal and they're heavily driven by food and heavily motivated by, by food. So that person takes care of that public interaction with bears. But research really just came into play about a decade ago. And we s- started from scratch. Didn't know how many bears we had, where they were, what they were doing, like Todd mentioned how many cubs they were having. How are they doing? Are they surviving? Those kind of questions. So we've come a long way in the past decade. Um, and, and he mentioned Chris Seals earlier. He was one of the first biologists that started and learned a lot just on his own and by talking to the people in the area. He was brilliant in coming up with the best bear buffets, trying to figure out what lured them in. And we have done everything from honey buns to cereal, fruit loops, whipped cream, ice cream, syrup, molasses. Um, Cracked corn works pretty good now, and it's a lot cheaper than those other sources. But anything that was sweet, we could throw into that trap. I catch me on that. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> so, what are the what do the traps look like that you use most of the time? It's a big giant cage on wheels, basically. So imagine a trailer, and we and we built a cage right on top of it, and it has a door that hinges at the top. And uh, when the trap is uh, tripped, the door just kind of swings down into place. Um, but it's um, 10 feet long by, you know, four feet wide and four feet tall. And we keep live cell cameras on those traps as well. So we can monitor what's coming to it and how often and when to set it so we can trap a bear. Do y'all do the the barbed wire to try to get a get hairs? To, yeah. That was during the genetic study, yes, to get hair samples. Yeah. And that is, that's how you get hair samples from landowners as well, through crawling through the barbed wire f- fence or uh, rubbing up against a tree. And that's how our hair, hair samples were collected to find out that genetic material and leading up to how many individuals were in the population. Dudley, you get, well, we've learned so much. I know. What, uh, what's, what's the average lifespan of a wild black bear? And is there a, a difference between the north and south population that you can tell? We haven't been studying them long enough to know how long they live in Alabama or if there is any difference in, in adult survival between the two, you know, between the two populations. But, uh, you know, an adult black bear can, can live 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. Wowzers. Most of the bears that we catch are are young, are fa- considered fairly young. Um, very few 
kind of in the teenager years, which 10 to 15. Um, the oldest bear that I've seen was in the mobile population. She was 20, early 20s. And it's been a couple of years since we've seen her. She was known as Mama Bear. But the last time we did see her, she had triplets with her. So, but that is considered an old bear from what we've seen in our study. And I assume, do you weigh the bears when you catch them? Uh, at the we beginning, do. we did, yes. And and now with um, targeting females and the cubs get weighed. So, And then we also pull a tooth from the adult bears, and that's a way of aging them as well. So, Hannah, are you now, uh, uh, you, you've moved on, you're in another state but working, uh, got a career going or are you a or are bear you you foresee bears being a big part of your life going forward yes yeah i would love to stay involved with bears in alabama and i still have landowners contact me almost every day about bears that they're still seeing um especially collared ones that are on people's properties so i have loved staying involved there um but my current position with the minnesota dnr is also with bears and Minnesota is my home state, so I'm glad to be working with my favorite species in my home state. Hannah trapped one of the biggest bears we've seen in the state. It was the biggest, according yeah. to Chris. And I, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. And that just so happens to be on the during that uh, three day period that Chris couldn't catch one for practicum. So <laughs> had to rub that in his face a little bit there. <laughs> how, how big was it? It was over 500 pounds, and we couldn't actually get him all the way off the ground, but the scale said 491, so wow, so he was well over 500, and he was affectionately known as Big Boy. <laughs> wow. Oh, Big Boy. That is a big bear. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. folks Folks don't have an idea either of, of Hannah's stature. She's, she's a small lady, so in the picture <laughs> with this bear, the head was like the twice the size of of her waist <laughs> there are three times the size it was just the head alone was massive and impressive look yeah, i have a 500 yeah. pound bear because you know i've been interested in bears and a lot of these states that you travel to to hunt bears a three or four hundred pound bear is kind of a, a normal mm-hmm. size bear and in north carolina actually has some really big bears but uh to see something over 500 that I, I don't think that happens all the time oh no. Right. And to put it a little bit of perspective, too, so up here in Minnesota, most of the females are averaging 200 to 250 wow. pounds, whereas down there in Alabama, it was pretty common to see a 100-pound female. Yeah. So there's there's a quite a big size difference, especially in the females, but then, you know, correlate that to the males, and there's some pretty big size differences. So a 500-pounder in Alabama, you know, that's definitely noteworthy. Mm. You betcha, as y'all yeah. say. In, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dudley, have you got anything else? No, I, I, I'm satisfied. That was really good stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the, I do have some questions if you want to do that. Yeah, we'll do that here in just a second. Todd, we, are, we really admire the work that you're doing, uh, and, and we appreciate the university making you available. Uh it, 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 you know, it's just, it's amazing. We, if, if anything else pops up that's interesting, reach out to us. We love hearing about this kind of, this kind of stuff. It's, sure. It's Happy fun. to do it. Anytime you want to go out in the field with us, just let us know. Um, and 
if if folks want to learn about this and and read some of uh, some publications and such, where uh, where do they need to go to read that? Uh, I do have some publications that from this research that are that are available on my website. Um, if you just Google Todd Sturry, you can you can find my lab page at Auburn University. Okay, great. And, uh, Post all of our publications there, uh, and then Tracy may have some information on on other publications that the state may, makes available. Yeah, just general information for our citizens. Bearwise.org is a fantastic one stop place that a landowner, especially a landowner, could get all the information they need about how to interact with black bears. We also have a black bear observation reporting option on our webpage, outdooralabama.com. That is our departmental page, outdooralabama.com. And if you just want to go on the search toolbox, you can put in black bear observation. And you should see right at the top, reporting. And you can go to that page and if you don't want to give specific details, that's not necessary. You can put it at the county level. But that information is extremely helpful to us in monitoring the population, seeing where, where bears are, how far they're moving, tracking them. Um, it also helps us make management decisions for bears. Hannah, it, uh you sound like an amazing young lady. My daughter actually went on one of the trips with Richie and with you. And you met Jesse, and she just uh, she could was just so impressed. And <laughs> well, thanks. So this has it's been a, good to have them out. This has been a lot of fun learning and listening, and th- th- these these ladies and Todd and uh, the research that's going on, and uh, you know, it's it's just a small population, but it's it's a big part of what you know. You know, as gamekeepers, we love it all. And we want to see it all be successful. And uh, just to think that th- people are out here studying these animals and working for them and everything, it, it, it makes you feel good. No doubt. Thank you for your service. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Todd, thank you all. We'll let you all drop off. Hannah, thank you so much. And we uh, Look, I, I expect, Hannah, we're going to stay in touch with you. We might have a some kind of Minnesota project we need you to help us with. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, please do. I'd be happy to share any other research or experiences that we can. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right, Todd. Yeah. Thank Bye, you, guys. Now. Yep, thank you. Well, we always talk about what did we learn. And uh, there's a lot I didn't know about about bears and uh, l- listening to all that. Uh, pretty Pretty fascinating stuff. Richie, I bet you learned something. Well, I mean, you know, going into this, I thought bears just could, you know, can could live anywhere, kind of make their own. And just the difference in the population in North and South Alabama there, I, you know, just kind of eye opening of, you know, the habitat and just what it takes for, uh, you know, for a healthy bear population to grow. Yeah. Dudley, you had some yeah. good questions. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I mean, I feel like, you know, growing up hearing about bears, you're always told to be extremely cautious and, you go on a hiking trip with your friends and they're scared of the bears. Uh, but it's really not like that. It doesn't seem, I mean, not, I'm not saying go crawl in a den. Obviously that's what researchers do, but, uh, you know, they're not that scary black bears. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood does that for us, but they're not grizzly bears. 
um, again, wildlife is wildlife. You've got to use some common sense yeah, and, and, respect tr- and respect them. Yep. Yep. Tracy, we appreciate you traveling all the way up here. We are big fans of the Alabama wildlife, uh, Chuck sites and just all the stuff that's going on over there. Y'all are really do a great job and we we compliment y'all thank you for 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 coming over here and if anything else pops up that you think we'd love to learn about please stay in touch with us i i appreciate the opportunity and the fact that we're discussing black bears yeah well we're we're going to keep this up and i i think todd and han have dropped off but i'm gonna make sure they get a companion shirt and we'll make sure you get one as well for being a guest on the show and thank the you. companions that new little that lifestyle brand we've got that's so cool so yeah Look, this is it. She's got to get on the road and get on out of here, guys. We had so much fun. I learned uh, – we really learned a lot. We, You know, we're talking about doing one of these with uh, some of the same guys in, with, in Mississippi. The Bears have the same scenario going on. And and uh, so I bet those two – I bet you end up talking with the the state of Mississippi and Alabama We already talks, have. So. We already have been in discussions and comparing notes. Yeah. So that's exciting because they're dealing with – the same uh, subspecies as we are in South Alabama. So we've got a little network going on. It's a lot of good stuff. I can talk about bears all day, every day. Sometimes I get a a little bit excited and my Tennessee accent gets thick, so I try to just stay calm about (laughs) it so everybody can understand me. (laughs) Well, we've we've certainly – it's been a a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Looking around, Rob, you got anything you need to add? Okay, Richie, but it was fun having you sit in here. And it was a different perspective, I guess, you know. And so uh, I know uh, Laney wasn't able to make it today, but uh, it'll be good to have him back next time. Yeah. Well, you're going to be our new sub for when one of us can't make it. Well, it's, and he didn't fall asleep. That's, that's good. good. Yeah, it'd be tough to fall asleep on, you know, on this side of the camera. Yeah. All right, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Roberto. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland. <laughs>